caught up in things that do not matter. We can get involved in so many debates, and if you go anywhere online, we love to fight about things, don't we? We love to fight, we love to debate, we love to prop up things, and a lot of times when we look at it, it really doesn't matter the things that we bicker about. And so I thought that it would be fun to let's start a debate right now about the greatest smartphone that ever lived. How many of you feel that the iPhone is the best smartphone out there? You have an iPhone, you love an iPhone, you want everyone you know to have an iPhone. Does anyone say that they love iPhones out here today? There's a couple of people, a couple of people. How many of you say that the iPhone is garbage? That Samsung is actually the best smart maker of smartphones out there? There's a few people. How many of you think that it's not the iPhone and it's not Samsung, but there's another maker out there that's really the best smartphone out there? Does any of you can say that? Okay, we have one. In the first service, we didn't have anyone who fit that category, so praise God for you, sir. Um, here's the thing. How many of you say, it really doesn't matter, I don't care? Okay. But here's the thing, we still have that debate, don't we? It's still something that's out there. And so we end up fighting about things that do not matter. And in all reality, we have the goodness of God that is staring us in the face every single day. And so we have an individual who created a smartphone. His name was Steve Jobs. Now, whether you're an iPhone guy or not, I think it's pretty uh, well established that he was a guy who changed the world, wouldn't you agree? He influenced the world for generations to come. He built a great company, he had great drive, he had great ambition, but you know what? There were times where he was so focused on what he was doing that he would get confronted by his partner about how he would neglect and ignore his company or his employees. They would feel unappreciated. And so there was a movie that has been made about this. This is an encounter of Steve Wozniak confronting Steve Jobs and how his employees felt neglected and unappreciated. Let's take a look. These people live and die by your praise. So here's your chance. Acknowledge that something good happened that you weren't in the room for. No. Steve. Do it. It's right. It's. It's right. Sorry, but no. Let me put it another way. I don't think there's a man who's done more to advance the democratization that comes with personal computing than I have, but you've never had any respect for me. Now, why is that? I'd at least consider the possibility that it's because you've never had any for me. What is going on here? Nothing. Thank you for your time. It's done. She's coming back. You came a half inch from putting this company out of business. Now, who do I see about that? I'm letting you keep your job. You get a pass. Your products are better than you are, brother. That's the idea, brother. And knowing that, that's the difference. It's not binary. You can be decent and gifted 
at the same time. We find ourselves in that position sometimes, don't we? We find ourselves confronted with what is right, what is decent, what is God honoring. But at the same time, we find ourselves with these excuses. This is why I can't treat somebody with respect, because they haven't treated me with respect. We find ourselves with the excuse that this is why we need to move forward and who cares who we stomp on. Because if we do this, it's going to be successful. And we we are right and we have the ability to do whatever it is that we want to do. It's hard to remember that it's not all about us. And in reality, if we get so caught up in our pride and our ambition, we will miss out on the goodness of God working in our lives. This week, we're going to take a look at a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He was a Babylonian king who was used by God to discipline God's people. He was a strong man who inherited a rising empire, and he only made it stronger. And this is what it looked like. This little crescent right here, that is known as Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. And in fact, he was so strong that he would frequently have battles with Assyria that we discussed last week. And he would also have battles with the Egyptians over here. And these were the strongest empires at the time. And they fought against Nebuchadnezzar and they lost. And Nebuchadnezzar was so strong that these empires approached him on both sides and began to work together and squeezing him in on battling him, and they still lost. So Nebuchadnezzar, he was a strong individual, and he had the most powerful empire in the world at the time. He was the most influential individual that walked the face of the earth. And so the Bible speaks of Nebuchadnezzar, and he not only conquered the Assyrians, he not only conquered the Egyptians, but he conquered the kingdom of Judah. And he was ruthless in battle. He wouldn't just come up and he would conquer you. If, if you fortified your city and you made it so that he couldn't get in, he wouldn't just go away. He would stay there and he would hold siege to your city, and he would be there for years, starving the city out, having people die of starvation and thirst and disease, and there was nothing that the city could do. And even after being there for a year, he would still stay there, waiting for you to finally submit to his will. He would go, and after he finally conquered you, he would take slaves, he would take women, he would take children, he would take young men, and he would enslave them and, and made them do his bidding wherever they go. He would build monuments to himself. It was safe to say that he did not have a care in this world about what he did and whether it was right or whether it was wrong. As long as it benefited him, he was okay with it. He didn't have anything to hold him in check. You see, when you've known nothing but victory, it's hard to keep yourself humble. When you, have not, when you haven't had anything push, back, push back against you, it is hard for you to think, maybe I'm doing something wrong because it's all benefiting you, right? 
And so you can have, you can go through this life and you can have this temptation. Wow, things are going wonderfully for me. It must be that God's favor is on me. It must mean that there's nothing that I have to worry about. Today, you bite me missing out on what God is calling you to do right now because you have blinders on. You're like Nebuchadnezzar. You think that there's nothing wrong. One of Nebuchadnezzar's visits to Judah, he essentially abducted officials, basically young, talented men who were capable of leadership. And one of them was a man by the name of Daniel. Who has heard of Daniel? There was three other people that he took as well. He took a man by the name of Hananiah, another one by the name of Mishael, and another one by the name of Azariah. How many of you heard of those people? They were later renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Have you heard of those guys? All right. Well, those four men were taken from Jerusalem and all the way over to Babylon. So if you notice here, they were over here in Jerusalem. They had to go around in this U-shaped And the reason why this kingdom looked this way is because Babylon valued the land near these rivers because they were fertile. If they went straight across here, that's desert, there's no rivers, it's not as valuable. And so they had quite a long journey just going all the way over to Babylon. And so why does Nebuchadnezzar have this practice that was clearly, you had to donate resources, you had to work awfully hard in order to take these young men and bring them over to Babylon. Why did he do it? Well, if you take the youngest and the brightest and the most influential in somebody else's kingdom and you just conquered them, if they still stick around, they can cause an uprising because they are around their own people and people are gonna look to them for leadership and they can start an uprising. But if you take them and remove them away, you remove the threat. And not only do you remove the threat, you now input their talents and services so that they're working for you instead of working against you. And so in all of this, We see God showing Nebuchadnezzar his goodness, not only because of Nebuchadnezzar's accumulated wealth, but because he had access to God's finest people, and those people were consistently pointing to the author of that goodness, God Almighty. And at the same time, Nebuchadnezzar still found a way to miss it. So the first three chapters of the book of Daniel it basically reveals this one truth. It reveals God's goodness exists. God's goodness exists. You can be going through a terrible time where you can't recognize anything that is good in your life and you feel like the walls are coming in and that there's waves of storm around you and you can't see anything good. Can I encourage you today? God's goodness exists. You could be walking in the blessing of God and you everything is wonderful. You got that promotion at work. You have plenty of resources. You, everything's going great in your family. Will you be reminded today that it is all because of the goodness of God? We have to remind ourselves God 
God's goodness exists. And we see examples of this all throughout the first three chapters of Daniel. First, first passage we'll look at is in Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 17. Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned him, he found them ten times better than all of the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So let's take a look at this. You have four men. They've been abducted. They are enslaved, serving another king. They had to learn another language and another culture. And you know what? They still ended up being better than all of the best and brightest of the entire kingdom. They, Nebuchadnezzar had the goodness of God staring him directly in the face. And you know what? He still missed it. And so that is our encouragement today, is, is that we could be so busy with the affairs of all the world around us, and the goodness of God is staring us in the face. If we just look around, we can see his goodness all around us. We just have to look for it. How many of you are glad that God just doesn't give up after one chance of showing his goodness to us? It's not like he shows his goodness is like, oh, they missed it, I'm gone. No, he continues to show his goodness. He doesn't stop when we stop. He continues to show his goodness over and over and over again. We see it in Daniel chapter two. Nebuchadnezzar was suffering with dreams that were quite intense and they were very confusing. And he looked around and he couldn't find anybody who could tell them what these dreams meant. But he, then he went to Daniel, and Daniel interpreted his dreams, and this is the response that Nebuchadnezzar had to, the to Daniel's interpretation. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and of an incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the province, the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Now that's pretty impressive. To be a foreigner in a foreign kingdom and have the king so impressed with you that he says, you know what, I want you to do my job. I want you to be ruler over this entire province. And your three friends, they're going to help you carry out this job. It's essentially creating an entire government that is being run by God's holy people. 
And so we have uh, this incredible situation unfolding out in chapter two, but here's what I want to point you to. Something that Nebuchadnezzar said, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. He saw God's goodness. He saw God's goodness there and he gave God praise. And so surely revival is going to break out, right? Revival is going to break out throughout the land. The king has acknowledged that God is Lord of all, right? Well, guess what? We find in chapter 3 he had this response. I'm going to build a golden statue. It looked a little bit like this. Now, I don't know about you, I have never walked into this place, had a dynamic moment of worship of God Almighty, and left here and thought, you know what? I'm going to build a golden statue and tell people to worship it. Have any of you had that thought? I'm going to build a statue in response to God moving in my life? But that's what we find with Nebuchadnezzar is he built this entire, this big statue, and he said, you are going to worship this statue at various different moments of the day. And I find that this is a perfect example of what we find as Christians, because we walk in here, right? We acknowledge God Almighty. We say that he is worthy of our praise, and then we go out that door, and we live as if he's never existed. And we end up serving things that are in direct defiance of God. And so it's not like we build a giant golden statue, but we still end up worshiping another God nevertheless. And so we have here an opportunity for us to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. And when the world props something up and says, worship this, we have an obligation and the privilege of resting in the goodness of God and pointing people to God's goodness. We could stand in the midst of a world that is bowing down to the same thing. And you know what? We find ourselves in the exact same position as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were public officials. And look at that thing. It's not like you can ignore it. And so when the entire world around them is bowing, it's pretty easy to recognize the three dudes that are not. But you know what? If we compromise in the area of truth, then there is no way for us to point to anything else. We have nothing else to point to. So we have to stand in the promises of God. We have to stand in his truth. We have to stand without compromise. Why? Because we not only affects us in our life, but it affects the world around us where we say, that is not God Almighty, but I know the one who is. I got a little carried away there. <laughs> this world is very clear on what it exalts. It's very clear on what it worships. All you have to do is turn on the news. All you have to do is watch the movies that have been coming out recently. All you have to do is watch one of your favorite shows, and you will find what the world exalts and worships. Today, will you remind yourself that God's goodness confronts you and that he is calling for your undivided attention today? 
Will you remind yourself that God is calling you out of the world and so that you can stand in the goodness of God? Today, he is calling you. The question is, are you there to listen? Are you here to listen to what he's saying today? Going back to that statue, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, obviously they refused to bow. And Nebuchadnezzar, who earlier was worshiping God Almighty, decided you're not bowing to my statue, so I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. Quite an interesting turn of events, don't you think? He was just worshiping God earlier, and now for these three people who are worshiping that very same God, he is giving them a death sentence. It's quite the short memory. And it's something that I find that we are often guilty of is is we forget what God has done in our lives. We forget that God walked us through when we couldn't pay our bills. He's walked us through when we had the bad diagnosis from the doctor. He's he's walked us through when the closest people around us betrayed us and are working against us. God's goodness has been faithful in the past. And you know what? We can trust him to continue to be good with us in the future and in the present. We have to remind ourselves of God's goodness. And so Nebuchadnezzar saw that these three men who are now in the fiery furnace and they should be burning up and he sees that they're not burning up and now he sees a fourth person there. He sees God Almighty walking with them in the middle of the fire and because of that, they could stand strong with confidence. And so now we have this response from Nebuchadnezzar who saw God moving in this powerful way. It says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble so no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So that's quite a response, don't you think? That's quite a response. A little bit harsh, a little bit, I would never go into that direction per se. I've never come here and thought, I'm going to preach the word of God, but whoever doesn't respond, I'm going to track them down, cut them into pieces, and then I'm going to burn their house to the ground. I've never had that thought, have you? But we find that Nebuchadnezzar kind of responded in this shallow way because his heart wasn't changed. How many of you know you can go through the motions of saying you honor God, but your heart isn't changed, so it really doesn't matter. And so we see Nebuchadnezzar having this uh, emotional, surface-level response, but we see that God still has to do a work in his heart. We are not exempt from the short-term memory of Nebuchadnezzar. And if we don't look around, we might miss out on the goodness of God. But you know what? God doesn't leave us that way. 
He doesn't leave us that way. In fact, we find that God's goodness, it humbles you. God's goodness humbles you. When I played football, I came across all sorts of characters. And there was people from different socioeconomic backgrounds. There was people from all different types of color. There was people from uh, all different uh, uh, sides of life, different values, different things like that. But you know what? We had a common objective. And that objective was to win. And it became very hard for me to understand when I was playing football that I would see a teammate be more concerned with their own glory than they were about the glory of the team. And I see it all the time because when I played in high school, I saw it. When I played in college, I saw it. And now when I watch professional athletes who are being paid to win a game, I find themselves more concerned about themselves than they are about the team and their common objective. And so you see somebody at the end of the game and the game is on the line and the time is short and they get a first down and instead of running back to get on the line of scrimmage to do the next play, they do the pose. They do the first down pose and valuable seconds are there and they're still holding on to the stupid ball and their teammates are going, come on, come on, we don't have time for this. Have any of you seen a professional athlete make a tackle? It's amazing to me to see the response that happens. They get a tackle, they're like, ah, and they're kicking and they're screaming and they're going all over the place and they're having this big celebration, right? And at the end of it, I just wanna say, congratulations on doing your job, right? And so they're more concerned about propping themselves up instead of embracing this common objective of winning, right? And so as Christians, we have this common objective of lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. We have this common objective of putting down our own agendas and lifting up the agenda of God Almighty. And the Bible says that the time is short. We had that encouragement today that the time is short. And so today, let me encourage you that you can find yourself lifting yourself up all you want. Will you be reminded today that God is saying, humble yourself and submit to an objective that is higher than yours. Submit to a directive that is higher than yours that if you submit to this, I will bring you into a life that you have never known, but there will be people that will now know life like they've never had before. You see, we have to submit to this common objective, and it only happens if we choose to walk in humility. Nebuchadnezzar had three chapters encountering the goodness of God, and he still rejected it. And so God decided that he's going to give his, he's going to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. Like I said before, God never leaves us the way we are, especially when we're in defiance of him. And so he decides that he's going to get his attention. And so he sent Nebuchadnezzar another dream. And Nebuchadnezzar still couldn't find the answer. And then he talked to the man of God. He talked to Daniel. 
Daniel interpreted his dream, and he told him that Nebuchadnezzar, you are going to fall. And not only are you going to fall, I am going to humble you and discipline you. And Daniel then gave him this final warning. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. In other words, please don't kill me. But he says, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that your prosperity will continue. You see, Daniel knew what Jonah knew, like what we discussed last week, is God is gracious. He is compassionate. And so he gave this warning, this one last warning to Nebuchadnezzar, please turn away from your wickedness, turn away from your sin, and perhaps God will withhold his judgment, withhold his discipline. You don't have to go through this. Just repent. And after all that, we still see Nebuchadnezzar unchanged. God will confront us even when we are stubborn. God will continue to confront us and show us his goodness. And if we don't respond, then he will humble and discipline us. But guess what? It's not about, uh, it's not like he's there saying, I'm going to torture you because you didn't do this. He disciplines like a parent to a child. No parent takes joy in disciplining their kids, but they do it for the sake of their kids coming and walking into the life that the parent wants for them, right? And so here, we see that God is looking to discipline Nebuchadnezzar, even though Nebuchadnezzar didn't deserve it, even though Nebuchadnezzar deserved to continue to live in a life that was outside of the will of God. It played out like this. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. He said, it is, is it not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals that you, and you will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his claws like that of a bird. What kicked all of this off? It was Nebuchadnezzar looking out at all that he had and said, look what I have done. 
Look who I have accomplished. He completely took God out of the equation. He lifted himself up, and he said, not only did I do this, but it's for my glory. It's for my sake. And he lifted himself up in such a way that he ignored the goodness of God, and he ignored what God was trying to accomplish in his life. And at the very uh, moment, God said, all right, I'm going to humble you. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never thought that it would be great to live like an ox. I never looked around and said, you know what, that wild animal over there, I want to be like them. I want to go potty like an ox. I want to eat like an ox. My best friend, I want it to be an ox. I've never thought that. And so this was obviously a pretty extreme example of God bringing humility. But guess what? It was never meant as a torture. It was never meant as something where God was just doing this in a petty way. Ultimately, whenever God disciplines, he does so with the, uh, with the, uh, with the, um, with the purpose to restore. So God's goodness humbles, but God's goodness restores. God's goodness restores. Sometimes it is hard to see what God is trying to accomplish when you are stuck in a pit of your own making. All you can see around you are the walls that you have built up. All you can see are things closing in on every side. But if you just simply change your perspective, you will end up seeing God and what he is trying to do in your life. Uh, Psalms chapter 40 talks about being stuck in the pit and in the muck and the mire. And it says that when he lifted up his eyes, God lifted him and placed his feet on a rock, giving him a firm foundation to stand. Sometimes we just need a shift in our perspective. All we need is to look up and see that God rules and reigns over all of it. So many times we end up getting stuck in our own stuff that we forget that God is just there. If we lift up our eyes, we will see who he really is. At the end of chapter 4, we see Nebuchadnezzar coming to his senses, and it goes like this. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored, and then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and I became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Can I have the worship team come up front, come forward?
today, some of you are mad at God. But I hope you are reminded today that God's intention is to restore. God's intention is to bless. But he will confront you so that you can be at that place where you can come to a, uh, to a place of humility and say that God is the God over everything in my life. And so today, if you find yourself in a place where you feel that uh, there are things all around you that you don't understand, you know, you're, there's this talk of God and how he wants to bless you. There is this God of goodness that is being proclaimed, but you are not sure exactly what that means. Can I, can I tell you today, all you have to do is look up. All you have to do is acknowledge that God is speaking to you right now at this moment. You have heard the voice of God speak to you today. You have felt that tug in your heart. And all you have to do is say, okay, God, I submit. I submit. I am tired of doing this life all by myself. I am tired of trying to accomplish things in my own power. I want you to do what I cannot do and haven't been able to do all my life. I am looking for you to give me life and life more abundantly.